When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is On The Mark. Pleased to be talking some tennis today with a Grand Slam champion, the French Open, the Australian Open. He won them both twice. And one of the greatest American players of all time, Jim Courier, with me today. Still doing it, coming to Chicago to play in the QQ Series as well. Uh, hey, Jim, uh, you know, let, let, let's start with the news around the Davis Cup. And you, of course, uh, captain of the team uh, since back in 2010. And you're looking to, uh, and you've said this before, but I figured we'd talk about it today. You'd like to have the event be a two-week event, kind of like a Grand Slam tournament, and have it be in one particular location. Do you, is, is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. I mean, one particular location could also mean a little bit like the World Cup of Soccer, the way that it's in one nation, and you have some of like the first week matches could be played in multiple venues, and then you have a Final Four effectively come to one uh, one arena for the teams to play, or you could put it all in one big venue, like a U.S. Open style venue, and have the men and women play uh, play separate teams, but have a, a Nations Cup, a World Cup, if you will, of tennis. I think it would be a really exciting, um, captivating event that would bring a lot of people underneath the tennis tent that may not follow tennis. And see, I think you're you're spot on that most casual tennis fans, and I, I mean, I'm a diehard here, but even I have trouble following. Well, where is where's the Davis Cup? Like, you really have to pay attention to what's going on. I think I think you're yeah. spot on. Like, hey, this is the event. We get to look forward to it. It's at this time of year. Well, this is the good news too, Mark. Is there's a new sheriff in town at the International Tennis Federation. Uh, he was the president of the U.S. Tennis Association as well. And Dave Haggerty is a progressive. He's a guy who. I think we'll make an attempt to try and overcome the politics that are inherent to these types of, of events and, and that have a history, an event that was created in 1900, for goodness sakes, and it's been around a long time. I think he wants to move the needle forward. I think that the model is obvious. You see how much revenue that the U.S. Open and Wimbledon and the majors are making in a two-week time period, how much TV money they're getting, ticket money. The Davis Cup and Fed Cup, which is the women's version, they pale in comparison financially, but they take up twice as much real estate on the calendar as any one of those slams. They take up four weeks, but they're one week a quarter, and it's impossible for anyone other than basically our team and the people that are related to us to follow. No one knows that we're in Australia during the Masters golf tournament, but there we are playing in the middle of the night, U.S. time, trying to, to you know, 
to win for the United States tennis fans, but it's it's unfortunate that it just doesn't work in this climate where we need to kind of have events that grab you and, and bring you in. And the U.S. Open does that. People pay attention to it, especially as you build storylines over two weeks. People start to tune in, and, and that's, I think it happens in all playoffs. You know, basketball playoffs, people start tuning in more as we get to the finish. This could be a really special event for tennis. It's still a good event. It just is not a great event that the way that the Grand Slams have become. And, and I think that's where we, we'd like to see it go, a lot of us anyway, within the sport. What did you like yourself? I mean, you're coaching now, but as far as playing in it, was it the team aspect? Was it, I mean, obviously maybe the combination representing your country as well, but what, what did you like the most? I think the team aspect is the most unique aspect of it. I'm playing for your nation. Uh, players get a chance to do that now in the Olympics, although they play as individuals in the singles. They're not, um, not as, a, as a group, a collective. So for, for us as, as tennis players who spend all of our lives basically playing for the name on our, on our back, not the country um, on our back, it's nice to play as a team. It's nice to play for the country. And, and to have the support. And frankly, it's, it's as much about the, the energy and the hang and, and the week before we play where we're all practicing together, staying together, eating meals together. You develop that bond, and, and that's what makes it different and special and memorable. And it's Davis Cup, those are among my fondest memories of my playing career. And I think if you ask anyone who had the, the good fortune to, to represent their country in that team environment, they'll tell you the same thing. It's really special. It's special for the players, Mark. The problem is we need it to be more special for the fans and for the TV networks. And that that's where we're missing a little bit here in 2017. Well, and you do see the fans that actually go to the events. The places generally have a tremendous atmosphere, super into it. But it's it's still obviously yep. you know it could be a ton greater. I, I get it. But like when you when you watch a match, if it's in Switzerland and and Federer is on the court with with Stan and it's some doubles match against whoever, I mean it's awesome. It's so different than what we're used to seeing at tennis matches where there's typically polite applause. This is more like seeing a college basketball game where right. people are really fervent and they're, they're cheering at double faults and they're going crazy and they're singing songs. It's, it's in a very, very strong atmosphere. But I think it, my model, when I look at what I think it could be, I, I look at like soccer is not a sport that I'm particularly fond of, even though I played it as a child. I don't watch, ever watch soccer except for the World Cup, whether it's Women's World Cup or Men's World Cup. I tune and I start watching because I get caught up in the, the nationalistic fever. It's a little bit like the Olympics. You start watching sports you normally wouldn't watch, like curling or downhill skiing. <laughs> the next thing you know, you're, you're fired up and you're having a great time. And that's what that type of atmosphere is for the small portion of people that do pay attention to it. So when I look at it as, as a business person in tennis, too, and I see the U.S. Open you know, publicly, I think that they, they put these records out, they they net over $100 million in two weeks. I know the Davis Cup doesn't do that over four weeks, and I think there's, that's a missed opportunity. It's, a, it's the biggest missed opportunity in, in business in tennis for sure, and I think the fans, we could generate more of them at least for those couple of weeks. What do you think about the overall health of the sport? I think it's extremely healthy at the high-end level. So the, the big tournaments yeah. where all the players are playing, I'm talking about the four majors, I'm talking about tournaments like this week in Madrid, Spain, where Sharapova is on court right now playing Jeannie Bouchard, and the men are also playing there. Mm -hmm. Tournaments like Cincinnati and Miami. These tournaments are generating revenues that have never been generated in tennis before. The crowds that are coming are bigger than they've ever been. 
where we're not seeing the, the growth, and I think this is endemic of, of every sport, even the NFL starting to fall for this a little bit, or to this, is TV ratings are a little bit down because we have so many choices. But that's not necessarily the end-all, be-all, because they're, they're still paying top dollar to get to big events. The smaller events, they're struggling. But the big events, they're doing exceptionally well right now. The player prize money is way bigger than it's ever been. That's going to continue to grow for the foreseeable future. So it's tennis is in a really great spot. Hard for Americans to really understand that because the best players in the world don't play here that often. So they don't feel that as much as if, say, you're in Europe and there's a lot more tennis happening there. Yeah, I talked to uh, you know one of your well, you're you're competing against him right now, Andy Roddick in the Q series. But uh, mm-hmm. his take on American tennis was that right now the the young group is is as good as it's been in in say ten fifteen years. I'm curious how how you're looking at American tennis coming up. Yeah, right now we have a group of eighteen, nineteen, and twenty year old boys that are the best group since Roddick and Fish and Blake and Robbie Ginepri all came out. Um, you know, and Andy obviously had great success getting a number one in the world and winning a major. I think we have the, the capabilities within this collective of seven to eight kids that are now you know, in the boys to men program effectively, right? Turn pro. Uh, some of them are in the top hundred already. I think some of them are capable of winning a major, especially when you factor in that, that Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and Murray will be gone uh, from the landscape in seven years at the most. So there'll be lots more opportunities that haven't been there for the last decade. So I think it's it's promising. And we have some good young women as well. And we still have Serena, even though she's pregnant, but she'll, she'll be back next year, she says. And if she comes back, she's the, the person to beat the minute she steps on the court. Could she win a match right now, with all due respect to whoever she was playing? Of course she can. <laughs> right? yeah, well, of course she can. Of course she can. I mean, she's Serena Williams. Uh, every time someone says... You know, could she do this? I think she emphatically answers it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we'll and we'll miss her while 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 she's gone. But it seems like uh, she's very motivated sure. to get back out there. What 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 you, what's your take? Let's go back to the men's side here. What what's your take on, mm-hmm. on what Roger is doing right now? Because nobody really saw this coming. Certainly not the best start ever to a year in his career. I mean, that's preposterous. No. No. I mean, I I think it's remarkable. I think that um, I think it's his, his attitude as much as what his body is allowing him to do, or both. Uh, something that you just didn't see coming. He, he's gotten so much more aggressive on his backhand wing, which has been a liability for him in the, in the past four or five years. Now it's become a big weapon. That's changed the dynamic with him and Rafael Nadal. And he's winning matches against Nadal, which was a real struggle for him. He's healthy. He's fresh. He's playing a, a smart schedule where he wins the Australian. He wins the two big tournaments in Indian Wells and in Miami and then doesn't play again now until the French Open because he wants to peak for Wimbledon and the U.S. Open because he knows those are his best chances to add to, to 18 majors. So I, we've, I've never seen a 35-year-old play like this. I remember Andre Agassi's amazing run to the finals of the U.S. Open at 35 when he lost in the final to Federer, thinking, man, that's the best tennis I've ever seen a 35-year-old play. And I, and I played Connors in the semis when he was 39. But this was a whole new level of, of athleticism, and, and the game so much faster. It's just, it's, it really is breathtaking what Federer is doing right now on so many levels. Well, and, and you, of course, you know, you you won four Grand Slams, twice the Australian, twice the French. You're in the final at Wimbledon. You were in the final at the U.S. Open, and the guys you're naming. I mean, you beat Agassi, you beat Sampras, you, you beat Jimmy Connors. What, what's your what's your favorite win, Jim Curry? If you could go back and like redo mm. it today and just live that match again, what would you pick? 
Well, I know that the least favorite win of, of uh, Sean McManus, who runs CBS Sports Career, is me beating Connors in the semifinals <laughs> in 91. <laughs> That's a, a low light for Sean, for sure. But, you, uh, <laughs> you, you did not have a lot of people rooting for you that day. That is true. No, without I had like six people rooting for me, and they, they all got free tickets from me. <laughs> but uh, my the, the career-changing match for me was, was my first major win, and that was when I played Agassiz the finals of Roland Garros uh, in 91 and we had been roommates at Boletari so it was uh you know had a lot of different elements to uh to the match and that one was the one where I woke up the next day after winning it in five sets and realized that my life would never really be the same again and uh, and it's been a great thing for me for sure yeah the, I remember well that was the, the the five set that was a that was a battle and a half he was your roommate was he not back in the Boletari days he was yeah, we were roommates when I first moved to Volatari's when we were both 15 years old, and uh, and we certainly out there. He was always a better junior player than me. He turned pro earlier and had great success early, and you know, ended up having a better career than I did. All all things said and done, but uh, for a period of time there, I, I I got the better of him in a couple of big matches, and you know that French Open match certainly was a it was a career changer for me and a life changer. It was um it was pretty awesome. I mean Andre's beloved, but I on some level I don't feel like he gets his due for. I mean he won all four. I, I don't think people mm-hmm. quite realize how what an amazing player he was. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know how you see it, but I, I feel like his career kind of gets washed under with the all time greats. I mean he's in the mix somewhere. Yeah, uh, I, without a doubt he won the Olympic gold in Atlanta as well. So mm-hmm. and he won Davis Cup three different times. So he he checked every box that you want to check in our sport was number one a few different times in his career including after 30 which is really hard to do so no i i think he i feel like he gets his due with within my circle of people that i i I hang out with but i'm not sure that it translates i i think in many ways people think of him as as this big ambassador for the sport because of his book open and how how amazing that book was about his journey and how candid he was and, and about the, all the philanthropy that he's still involved with now doing great things. Andre is in many ways much, much more than a, than a tennis player. Maybe that might color the way that people look at his tennis and, and think more about the big picture. I don't know. I'm just pontificating at this point. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's uh, just – I always like to ask people in your position – What's your advice to parents who are trying to get their kid to either A, play, you know, say college tennis, or B, go on to do something greater? I mean, you, you started playing full-time at, at what age, Jim? I started playing full-time about the same time that I started playing baseball a lot, which was uh, seven years old. Okay. And um, so I switched back and forth between baseball and tennis primarily with a couple of seasons of youth soccer in there as well. But I played um, two sports religiously until I was 13 and I, I needed to make a choice to go baseball or tennis. So that then I chose tennis and, and never looked back. Were you pushed? So what would I say? Is that yeah, your question? Yeah. Well, were you pushed? How did you, how did you even come to that decision? No, it was a decision that I knew I needed to make because in tennis, I'd, I'd taken off a summer of tennis to play all-star baseball and it cost me ranking wise in tennis because I couldn't practice and I couldn't play certain tournaments and I fell behind and I'm a very competitive person. I'll, I'll, people who become pro athletes have to be and and um you know i i didn't want to have that feeling anymore of being left behind i knew that that was the point where i needed to make a choice and go all in on baseball or in tennis and my my read was that i was a better tennis player than baseball player against the pack i knew i was the number five tennis player number eight tennis player in the united states i didn't think i was that good in baseball 
So um, I was decent, but I don't, don't know that I was a guaranteed pro or guaranteed college starter. So you know, for me, first of all, with parents, what I tell them is make sure that it's your child's passion, not yours, mm-hmm. because if it's your passion and not theirs, it won't last. Um, I've got two young sons. I want to expose them to a lot of different things between the sports and the arts, because I love music too, and in different things, and let them choose the path where they want to spend their time and energy, because that's what, I, I had a great childhood. My parents gave me those options and opened it up and said, we'll support you as long as you work hard and, and you, you put effort in, you're not wasting time, we'll support you. And that, that for me, it was an amazing experience. So I want to pass that along to my kids. And that's the, that's the advice I pass along to other people as well. Um, I don't know if it's practical or not, but it uh, certainly worked well for me. Right. And where do you think the competitiveness at that early age came from? I mean, what, did you what was your dad? I think it's innate. Yeah, okay. I really think for me it was innate because I was the kid. They, my parents could drop me off in front of the wall, and, and I could throw the ball and try and catch it or hit the ball and try and, and hit it again um, for hours without ever getting bored. It, you know, tears would come from my eyes when I was told I had to leave. Wow. So I, I just, I had a real um, sticky personality with things that I liked. That served you well, Jim Courier. That's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's been lucky. Um, you know, it's, it, there's some, some nurture to it, but a lot of it, I think, is also nature. Right, right. Okay, two more questions for you. Number one, yeah. you, uh, you, you, of course, do the on-court interviews. And tennis is such a, at least certainly after the match, a gentlemanly sport. No one's ever going to really lose their mind. How do, what's your strategy <laughs> in, in, in getting something that's not generic out of these guys? Because a lot of times, you know, you're super successful out of getting you know, something that you know, we're not expecting to hear. Right. Well, I I do uh, plenty of, of behind the scenes work with with the, the coaches and and the girlfriends and wives and and the team members to find out if I have a hunch about a question I want to ask whether it will be well received in front of fifteen thousand people at the Australian Open. Right. Um, you know, so I have I have intelligence that that I'm working on behind the scenes. But basically, I go out and ask a little bit about the match because I think it's disrespectful to not ask about the tennis because I just played three sets at a minimum at a Grand Slam. But if it's a blowout match, that's a real opportunity to let them show more of their personality. I've, I've, I've felt that that's my role uh, in that scenario is to help the fans and the people watching get to know these players a little bit better. Let's not talk just about the X's and the O's. And the players are in great moods because they've won. So they're feeling good. Right, so it'd be different if I had to inter- interview the player that lost. A lot different. There would be a lot more curt, understandably. So, and I, I get away with a lot more because I've played because they they know that I've been in the line of fire with them. So they give me a lot more rope than they would give to someone who probably hasn't been in their shoes. Yeah. And they're also in a great era where you know you could literally put anyone out with a microphone and put it in the front of Roger Federer, and you're going to get a great interview because he's just that good. Your answer that just made me think of one other thing. Do you have a preference on keeping the majors at three sets or five sets on the men's side? Obviously, I don't really have a. I, I don't. I don't have a preference per se. I think we have to be cognizant of of what people want from a fan standpoint. Um, I personally, um, I like myself best of five. I think it's a truer test. I think it's harder to, to have upsets. Um, but the game is getting much more physical, so we have to keep that in mind. My I guess my point uh, of all of that, my final point of all of that would be if change does come, I do hope 
that the players are the ones who are driving it because they're saying it's, it's no longer tenable for us to play best of five. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want it to come from a lot of other people unless it's the pocketbooks of, of the people who are not paying to see these tennis matches anymore because they've lost interest because they're too long. So it, it's complicated, but I, I, I do like some tradition. But as you've heard in my Davis Cup answers, I'm not, not, not married to it by any means. Fair enough. And lastly, you're, you're, let's get a pick for the French Open here, men's side, women's side. What do you think? Well, I think Nadal is a clear favorite in the men's side as mm-hmm. of today. Two big tournaments um, coming up in, in Madrid and Rome will obviously point us in a, in a direction. In the women's side, it's so wide open, it's hard to really even know. Without Serena, um, with the way Kerber has been playing, which is you know not the same that she played last year when she got to number one, there's no one that that uh, that I can really point to right now. I would say Sharapova has a you know reasonable shot at it. Fair enough, Jim. Great to talk to you and uh, continued success to you. And, and and everybody who's a fan of the sport loves to see the work you're doing around it. So we we appreciate you and uh, we we're, we look forward to watching you the uh, rest of the season and 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 from that down the line. Appreciate it, Marco. We look forward to seeing everyone in Chicago. Yeah, baby. May 17, 7 p.m. at the UIC Pavilion, the Power Shares Triple Q Challenge. Me, Randy Roddick, Mark Lucas, and John McEnroe. It's going to be a good time. Hope to see you there, Mark. We'll be there, Jim. Thanks a lot. All right, bud. Thanks a bunch. See ya. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. It doesn't matter what job you're up against. Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment have the power for you to get the job done faster and easier. The PowerShare 20-volt batteries run longer on a single charge, and they can be used with other tools. Check out Menards' entire selection of Works cordless power tools and lawn equipment. Plus the weekly flyer today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.